This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. This is Jocelyn Donahue, and you are about to be strapped to a giant pentagram in the attic. At least you'll be listening to the latest episode of The Boo Crew while you're up there. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents The Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leah, welcome to The Boo Crew Podcast, episode 305, and this celebration of the best genre out there it is such an honor to have you here with us we do this every week usually a couple of times a week if you like what you're hearing it helps us so much if you leave us a review on apple podcasts if you'd like to watch the video version of our show you can do that now via bloody disgusting tv that's available on roku sling vizio smartcast and more you can check out the on-screen programming guide for showtimes and schedule this time around you are hanging out with returning guests to the show and one of the most compelling and evocative actors out there the absolutely wonderful Jocelyn Donahue. At time of release, her new film, Off Season, is in theaters, VOD, and digital March 11th. Get a sneak peek at what awaits you in Mickey Keating's fog-drenched island of nightmares. We talk about crafting unforgettable monologues, the choreography of terror, and the power of music. Take a listen to what's on Jocelyn's own playlist. Hear her latest horror recommendations. Revisit her remarkable performance in Mike Flanagan's Dr. Sleep and her passion for cooking and baking the most scrumptious dishes that you've ever seen. Get stranded with the iconic Jocelyn Donahue on episode 305 now playing. She said that the people on this island made a deal with a demon. right now demons and sea creatures you never should have come back here is anybody there don't be frightened dear can't let you go miss it's quite beautiful you know the island That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a returning guest and great friend of the show. She's got a powerful presence that makes the world stop when she's on screen. 
It is a secret known by the world's most unique and inspirational filmmakers. One of her first roles was a lead in arguably one of the greatest horror movies ever made, Ty West's House of the Devil in 2009, earning her a Best Actress Award for her portrayal of Samantha, and so started a long list of unforgettable performances and stories. She went on to appear on the six-time Emmy-winning series CSI, worked with Terrence Malick, James Wan on both Insidious Chapter 2 and Furious 7. She took on the daunting task of playing twins in Final Destination creator Jeffrey Reddick's Dead Awake, and most recently, Mike Flanagan's nine-time award-winning masterpiece, Dr. Sleep, to name just a few. There is something behind her eyes that makes you feel the journey of every character she takes on and makes every new project she chooses to be involved with a real event for us as an audience as it's an absolute thrill to see what she'll do next. Her latest is a sensational film from Mickey Keating that follows a woman who ventures to an isolated island after learning her mother's gravesite has been vandalized and things go terribly wrong. A time of release off-season is in theaters VOD and digital March 11th. We are honored to welcome back its star, the magnificent Jocelyn Donahue. Thank you again so much for taking the time and congrats on another amazing yes. movie. So first of all, tell us a bit about how you first heard about the opportunity to work with Mickey on this and what about the script as well as his established voice as a really exciting filmmaker drew you in. Yeah. Um, well, I had known Mickey's work um, before I got the script and was a fan. Um, I had seen Darling and Carnage Park, and he's just got such a distinct style. Each of his films are kind of like this really unique exploration in what cinema can do. Um, and so when he sent me the script, I was intrigued right away. And then reading it, um, I just loved like the mythology that he had built um, and this world that I knew he was going to build visually. Um, and then talking to him, he's just such a passionate guy. It's like, it's so infectious. You just want to work with him. So as soon as we sat down, I was like, okay, I need to do this movie. One thing that you notice right when off season begins is how incredibly an intimate adventure it is. And a huge part of that dynamic is the voice of the camera and your particular relation to it. We haven't really seen anything framed quite like this. There's a reason some of those images are what makes the poster so captivating. Like even in the scenes of dialogue between two characters, both characters aren't usually shown together, which lets us fall into these performances even more intensely. You spend much of the film looking either right at the viewer or even creepier still where that camera positioned. It's almost like you're looking just behind us. Uh, what do you think that brings to the nature and immersiveness of the film? And how is that choreographed to you? Yeah, like you say, I think that just gives it a really kind of an intimate relationship where where I'm breaking the fourth wall and it's almost like the camera is the other character. Um, and I think, you know, he mentioned like some Jonathan Demi movies where he does that. Um, but usually you kind of only see that like in comedy stuff, like you don't often see like characters using the camera as a character in really straight, serious stuff. So I feel like it, um, it was a little bit daunting at first, you know, and it's different as an actor because you're not like a lot of times I wasn't looking in the eyes of my scene partner. I was looking at the matte box on the camera, you know? Um, so it was like you say, it gives you kind of like an internal thing to play too. Um, and I think it maybe makes everything brings everything down to like this quiet um, psychological place too. And it was, I, when you see it, I think it's really effective. Like you say, it kind of, it's, it's weird also. It's like unsettling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And harnessing that word intimate, the relationship that your character has with George, played by Joe Swanberg, who is with her on this trip to the island, has a tangible sense of 
it's weird. It's like a comfortness to it and a familiarity, but there's a lack of intimacy. And you guys did such a great job of conveying that. And shades of it are hinted in your dialogue of what's going on, uh, just enough for us to kind of color in between the lines. But it feels like a lot of work went into setting that up for us. Can you let us know how you both built that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the the characters of George and Marie are kind of already on shaky ground when they start this road trip. Um, you know, there, it's not a typical, like we're, we're not coming in as partners to battle this thing. He is supporting me. He's, you know, he's being there as a, we don't really know where romantically they're at. Um, they're kind of on the rocks. So that lends some tension and drama to when stuff does start going South. Um, and then, Marie's kind of like a closed off character and you like George is like, well, why didn't you tell me any of this, you know, and, but she knows how crazy everything sounds, what, you know, what the little bit that she knows, it's hard to, it's hard to open up about something that sounds so insane, you know? So you, that's what you hear in the monologue um, where he's like, why did you tell me to come here? What are you talking about? This is crazy. Um, So then Marie's almost on her own also, you know, like he's, I don't want to give too much away about, you know, when George, what happens between George and Marie and what happens to George. Um, but when she is on her own, yeah, she's, she has to be resolute in a way like she's, she's totally lonely and isolated. The location is really beautiful. Where did you guys film this? We shot this uh, in this little beach town called New Smyrna, um, which is like an hour south of Daytona. Um, and that was the, another thing that Mickey and I talked about in our initial meeting is that he grew up in Orlando. It's like an hour from there. And he used to go on family vacations to this little town. And like you say, it was like so picturesque. It was built in the 1940s. Like the little main street seems kind of like stuck in that time. And so he knew like that that was where he wanted to shoot. And because it just had such like a, you know, an evocative sense of place. Um, and so the town, like it was the first time I think any movie had been shot there and the locals were wonderful. And like, you know, a lot of the, the townspeople, the actors were local actors, um, theater actors, and they were so wonderful and they really lent like, you know, their own unique flavor to the film. Was there really that much fog there? <laughs> That's a good question. Crazy yeah. amount of fog. So much fog. Um, we brought the fog. Um, that was awesome. Yeah, it was It was a crazy amount of fog. Um, but yeah, just so atmospheric. And, you know, it's also kind of like a metaphor for like, you know, Marie's like her understanding is also like drenched in this fog. Everything is cloudy. Like it's it's hard to know what's real, what's not real. That has that real nightmare feeling to it. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of running and a lot of fog. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and you, speaking of that monologue that you referred to. So, yeah, you do get to perform a very lengthy bit of dialogue in the car at one point where you make some big realizations about this journey for the audience. And it's an extremely important moment in the film. It really is the heart of the entire thing. The way you perform it is masterful when your lip quivers, what you're doing with your eyes, the anxiousness you're conveying. Tell us about the work that went into creating that moment for us. Yeah, that's like that scene. She is really vulnerable because she's, you know, she's telling George what happens um, between her and her mom um, right before she passed. And um, so it's very emotional. And and also she's kind of just embarrassed to be even saying this stuff out loud. You know, it's like it just sounds so crazy. But like throughout the movie, it's dawning on her that what seems unbelievable is actually what's going on. So like 
in that scene, it's almost like she's trying to talk herself out of like this. It just it, it sounds crazy. It can't be real. But what if it is real? Like what 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 if this is actually real? <laughs> like um, so it's kind of like you're seeing her wheels turning about like the logic of this place or like when the normal devolves into the abnormal. Um, and and yeah, what seems beyond belief is now undeniable. You know, all these things keep adding up and it's like, okay, I, if, I'm going, if I'm going to get out of here, then I have to accept these things. And that's kind of like the beginning of her thought process. Um, and then when she's alone and wandering after that, like just more and more evidence keeps adding up. Mm. For a scene like that in preparation, is that something you'd sit and rehearse on your own in a mirror or decide what to do on the day of? How does that work? Yeah, I'm someone who, you know, does a lot of, all the prep beforehand, like, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I have all the dialogue down um, just so that when I get on set, I can feel free to work from instinct or work off of Joe or add things that Mickey says or be surprised by things. But you really want to have that like foundation of knowing, just at least knowing the lines and what the emotional beats are um, so that when you get there, you can play around a bit. One of the things I loved watching is how you explore creepy places in your films. In this one, there's a fun scene. I mean, there are quite a few with this one where you're exploring the Museum of History, just watching your facial expressions and movement throughout the place as the camera pans across the walls, giving the point of view of what you're looking at. And then you sell the panic and fright very subtly, but very effective. Now, working with Mickey, how were these scenes crafted? Were they choreographed for the set pieces or how much of it was improvised? Yeah, I love that question because that was one of the, the the fun. I got to do so many different things on this movie and there were a few oneers, you know, like the one you're mentioning where it really is a dance between the actor and the camera crew, at, you know, who's right behind you moving forward or coming around you. So I love like working on those technical things and then, you know, bringing the emotional beats to that as well. Um, and Mickey really... I just feel like he like lives for creating these cinematic moments and he just knows what the camera can do. Um, so whether it's an extreme close up, like in the monologue in the car or whether it's uh, a choreographed one or like in the museum or in the fisherman's house, he just knows how to use the camera to tell the story. And, and so when she's exploring the audience is in her POV, uh, you know, the audience for most of the movie is learning things as Marie is learning them. So the camera is kind of like, you know, on her shoulder. And that scene in the museum was so cool that that's like the actual historical museum in New Smyrna. Um, I don't think they did. I don't know if they did any set decoration on that set because everything was just so perfect. Um, and it just, just what a what a find, you know, what a treasure trove of, uh, you know, of uh, evocative imagery. So I know we were talking about lines and it amazes me how actors memorize lines like I can't memorize anything. <laughs> so are there any tricks that you use like when you have like monologues and heavy dialogue to remember all the words? I, it becomes a muscle definitely, you know, that gets stronger over time um, where you learn something, memorize it, then that leaves and then the next one comes in. So that, that muscle does work um, to get stronger. But I used to, when I first started, would write everything down, like just write it out, like doing, you know, writing um, on the chalkboard. But now, now I guess I just do it a, a whole bunch. Um, and sometimes I'll record myself and listen to it back. And, but yeah, I think it's just about repetition. Oh, that's good to record yourself yeah. and listen back. <laughs> I always ask these questions because 
our kids are, you know, trying to study for tests and memorize words. And I'm like, maybe tricks like this can help them. I think (laughs) that that might actually help them. Yeah, I feel, you know, everybody kind of has a different way of learning. So sometimes it's visual or sometimes it's auditory um, or something or writing, you know, tactile. Um, I have a friend who like, you know, he he's dyslexic. So he'll like write. He'll, he'll do like shapes uh, um, along uh, his script um, to like as a, like a roadmap for oh, how to remember things. Yeah. So he'll like, you know, like the memory palace kind of trick where you remember the shape or the room that you're in, like at that part of the dialogue. So, yeah, everybody's got a different <laughs> a different way. That's wow. fascinating. The Boo Crew will be right back. Halloween. Newsweek magazine calls it a superb exercise in the art of suspense, the most frightening flick in years. Halloween. The Chicago Sun-Times says it's so scary, I would compare it to Psycho. It's the kind of picture, says the Chicago Tribune, that forces you to sleep with the lights on. A masterpiece, says New York's New Times. Halloween, from Compass International, rated R. One of the other exceptional cast members is the iconic Melora Walters, and she starts this journey off with a very eerie monologue leading into one of the most unsettling moments ever. And first of all, I just, although you aren't on camera in that particular shot, were you there for that moment? And what was it like to see that if you were? Yes, I was there sitting right by her bedside, you know, with my hand on her. And yeah, it's just... I think maybe that moment is in the trailer. So, you know, that she kind of screams bloody murder, Um, but it's, it is just so unsettling after such a, you know, just such an authentic and believable and real emotional, like she's divulging, you know, a a secret. And then, but then she is remembering the horror of that secret and she totally freaks out. So it was just jarring, scary, visceral. And, and Melora just has that quality. Like she's, as an actress, she's just so alive, you know, everything that she does, like, it's just so captivating. And I loved our scenes together. And, you know, some of the references for that are just so nice to see two women on screen having these conversations. Like, so I felt like those were like our Bergman moments, you know, (laughs) it was great to see you guys like a tempest on the screen. Another instance of that is you get to share a moment like that with Richard Brake and the way, first of all, the way that scene is lit is just stunning with that flashing red light behind him on the bridge. What was that energy like to play off of? Oh, I, I, yeah, he's such a commanding presence. What's funny, of course, is that he's like the sweetest, nicest, gentle man, you know, off off screen. But then when he's in character, it's it's terrifying. (laughs) So intense. Um, But yeah, he's just such a heavy hitter. Like, that's what's so cool about um, playing Marie is that I got to like bounce off of all of these different energies of these different characters. And Richard is someone who came in, you know, he probably was only on set for a few days, um, but he just comes in and then you just see that element of the film, like something that wasn't there before, like all of a sudden, Oh wow. Like this powerful, scary energy is now, you know, part of the, the atmosphere. And, and he's such a good actor and just like a great scene partner. Um, 
And yeah, it was it was not hard to uh, be scared by him in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Such a fan of work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we love his stuff, too. Another thing that the viewer will notice about this film is that it's a very musical experience as well. And in this case, song lyrics give the viewer messages or we hear there's a lot of polarity of vintage music by Alan Morehouse that's scoring the proceedings of what's going on. Can you tell us a little bit about the way you see the role music plays uh, in this film? Yeah, that's one of the coolest things for the actors to see when it's done, you know, like, because those are all things that happen in post. And of course, Mickey, like, does have a really strong sense of that and talked about, you know, how he wanted it to sound. Um, But something about, yeah, having like the oldies type music in there just makes it so creepy. Like, you know, like it gives you that Twilight Zone kind of feel. And yeah, sound is really so important with horror films. You guys know that. Um, so yeah, like there, there was kind of like this ominous, like droning kind of sound that maybe was coming from the bridge. Like that's kind of throughout underneath. Um, so there's just so many layers. But then, yeah, to have like the lighthearted, like 50s, 60s seaside tourist town music throughout just makes it so uncanny. Like it just doesn't, it's just weird. It doesn't fit. It's unsettling. Um, but yeah, I thought the score came out amazing. That's so good. And I'm curious, what what is your yeah. relationship to music like? Do you ever use that as part of your preparation to prepare for a role? How important is music in your life? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love music. And then in terms of working on uh, stuff, I do a playlist for my character about what they would be listening to or you know, and Marie is kind of like an urban, like uptight academic type person. So I thought maybe she'd be like listening to some like jazz and classical, but then also some some like stuff that maybe her mom would have liked too. So I had, yeah, I had a whole playlist of, and then would sometimes pull stuff up before scenes. Oh, that's cool. Are there any bands that you love personally that like maybe you listen to while you're making amazing cakes? And <laughs> uh, Well, I have to say right now I'm like, completely obsessed and i like cannot sleep because it's in my head i'm so obsessed with the new mitski album she's amazing um but i also like you know i love like beach house for like chill chill vibes um the strokes and kurt vile for like indie stuff and i love hip-hop i love uh freddie gibbs and um kendrick yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That's all great stuff. I'm like stuck on Phoebe Bridgers. Like I can't oh, get yeah. off of Phoebe. Yeah, Bridgers. no, it's just I love Phoebe Bridgers too, and Snail Mail, and yeah, all that stuff. Like it reminds me of the music like I used to love, like in the '90s. You know, as a teenager, I was wondering about you get to wear this this uh, detective looking raincoat for pretty much the entire duration of this thing. How yeah. many of those did they have and did you get to keep one? I did get to keep one and I am such a sucker for a turtleneck and a trench coat. So this is like my dream wardrobe. Um, and our costume designer, Joanna David, like she's just so talented. She's got such a great eye. Um, all the townspeople, like I loved what Jeremy Gardner was wearing, the fisherman. Yeah. And, you know, what Joe, I kind of am dressed like Joe right now. Like we both kind of had like the academic preppy look going on um but yeah just that adds so much to the the style and the tone as well and and mickey and and joe um they had just like such a in-step you know like everything was just like perfectly adding to the vision yeah i was gonna say uh, the film is divided up into chapters giving you some subtle hints as to maybe what's to come how did that you know affect the the, the filming the production was it filmed in sequence or out of sequence or did that even matter Yeah, we, I didn't actually know that it was going to be like kind of in that chapter sequence until afterwards, but I thought it was a really cool like scaffolding structure to put around it because the film 
feels like a fable in some ways, you know, or like a myth. Um, so I felt like that really kind of added to the, like the structure and the storytelling, um, in an interesting way. And there's also like some elements where it almost feels like a graphic novel too, like, or a, a video game. Like the, I just feel like there's such a unique, like all these different elements coming together to make something really special, but the, cha- the chapters, yeah, I just think it really lends to like the, the mythology of it. And that was something that Mickey and his wife, uh, Val, who's the editor, um, they did in post. And I thought it came out great. Yeah, there's even a credit for someone who designed the interesting looking title cards, which which mm-hmm. change right. throughout the proceedings, which is really fun to watch as well. The last time you were here for Boo Crew was in 2019, right on the eve of the release of Dr. Sleep. You weren't allowed to say anything, understandably. And just quickly, we'd just love to get your thoughts on your experience playing Abra's mom in Dr. Sleep. Uh, well, such such a great experience working with Mike and you guys, you know, are friends with Mike and Kate, and they're just such wonderful people who create like this great environment on set. Um, and Mike and Michael Feminari, that you know, his cinematographer, they just they create this environment where everyone feels, you know, safe, comfortable, uh, creative. You can bring your ideas, but they also like everything is just you're never worried that they don't know what's going like every, like they're just so such professionals. Um, so you feel like you're stepping into like, you know, just this machine that works so well, um, which is a comfort and then you can play around. Um, but yeah, we shot in Atlanta, um, working with Kylie, who's such a talented actress. (laughs) Like she's amazing. And that was cool. Like that was one of the first times I've gotten to play a mom, And so like in, you know, in this world that Stephen King built, like these dynamics, these family dynamics, which Mike is so good at, you know, mining. um, Yeah. Just to like be worried about her, but to, and to like see these powers, like her starting to realize her power, being worried about what that means or what it could lead to. Yeah. It was just like a super emotional role. So, you know, in this, in this case, I was playing more like the family drama stuff than the like horror stuff. So that was fun. No, it was, it was awesome to see in, in that role, too. Then yeah. you've worked with the best of the best. Who are some that you haven't worked with yet whose work you admire and would love a chance to play in their worlds? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, I guess the, a dream right now would be to work with Karen Kusama. Like, I love her stuff. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, we, think, yeah. Yeah, we probably talked about Jennifer's body on the podcast, but... I mean, Yellow Jackets was it was insane, oh my right? Gosh. Yeah. So good. Yeah, we're like we're still like two episodes yeah. away from finishing. We've oh, been really? like microdosing it because it's so good. We don't want it to uh, end. Jealous, uh, yes, so so cool. And I love like the invitation. Her movie, The Invitation, oh, was amazing. So like made me never yeah. want to go to another dinner party. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and uh, you know, Robert Eggers. I love his stuff. Um, Edgar Wright. Like. Oh. Those are some genre people. And then, you know, like big dreams that like PTA or, you know, the Coen brothers, those are like pipe dreams. But (laughs) and I love Alex Garland. Like, you know, he's someone who I just love that, like minimalist sci-fi horror thing that he does. And I would love to see him. At these festivals that you're at and just as a fan of cinema, you're watching a lot of horror. What are some things that you've seen recently that just blew you away or that you can recommend to people who haven't checked checked it out yet? Yeah, let's see. Recently, um, I saw The Night House, which was beautiful and so eerie and, and so great looking. And Rebecca Hall, I mean, her performance, like she's just great. 
I saw Archive 81, the, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, the series. Yeah. That? Yeah. Yes. That was really great. Um, Cause I, I, that has like a similar, th- I just like lore or like mythology that like surrounds the story so that they did that so well. And Mandy is one that like really freaked me out recently. Have you seen, I'm sure you guys have yeah. seen Mandy. I've not seen Mandy yet. <gasps> yeah. oh, I'm one of the few, I think in the world who hasn't seen Mandy yet. Um, yeah, that's like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> also, Richard Brake also in that. Um, and also another Nick Cage movie, Pig. Have you guys seen Pig? I've not seen uh, Pig yet either. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Good stuff. And I think actually, Trevor, I mentioned to you, there's this movie that was at South by um, when I was there called Witch Hunt. Yeah, you were telling me about uh, it. Yeah. Um, directed by this woman, um, Elle Callahan. But that's like a modern retelling of um, the Salem witch trials, but like set in a high school um, in California. It's really good. I recommend that. To people yeah, it's so fun. I want to yeah. see that. There we go. We got our watch list. And then to end on this, we didn't another thing we didn't get to talk about last time, which is crazy. But we never really got to just go into a little bit of your passion for cooking and baking and you blog about it <laughs> briefly. If you can just tell about how you got into that and how much a part of your life that plays. Yeah, it's huge. You know, uh, food is like my other passion, my other outlet. Um, and yeah, it's it's just something that's like both like a practice that I do every day, um, which I love, like just the, something that you can like always get better at, you know, um, like and that it's own re- it's, its own reward. Um, you get to like serve something beautiful to people that you love, you know, um, and we're just so lucky in California to have all this like gorgeous produce all year round. And I guess it, I mean, I used to work in like nice restaurants, like in New, when I was in school in New York and college. And that's kind of where I like developed a, a love for food and, yeah. and cooking. But I didn't really start cooking until I came to California. And now it's like, yeah, it's just like such a big part of my life. Oh my Do you have a favorite dish to cook? There's so many, but I mean, I I'd, like every week I do like a nice roast chicken, like a spatchcocked roast chicken, um, or I'll do like a pork milanese. I make a great lasagna. I make all kinds of salads, um, all kinds of desserts. Next time I come over, I'll bring you guys some desserts. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. We're definitely having a dinner party for sure. (laughs) You're also really good at photographing. Is that something you do yourself? Do you photograph it? Yes. Yeah, that's something I love to do as well. And yeah, I mean, that's food is like it's every color. It's like the plate is your palate, you know, so you can really. Yeah, I love to do the food photography as well. Oh, my God. So that's something that people listening can follow along on your your blog, right? Is it Primo Pezzo? How do you pronounce that? Yes. Oh, I'm so happy you got it. Yes, that is it. Um, which means like the first bite or like the best piece um, in Italian. Yeah. Primo Pezzo. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Oh my yeah, so you can connect nice. with that on my, um, like my regular Twitter has like a link to that as well. So. Oh, there we go. And then finally, beyond this, what's next? Are uh, you doing some filming? What's what's going on next? Yeah, um, I, there's a few things um, still in the works, but I'm hoping to be shooting um, this feature in May. Um, that's like a crime thriller that I think you guys will really dig. And um, and then later this year, also, I um, hopefully there'll be a release of this uh, video game that I worked on, which is a narrative video game, um, kind of like a, a mystery that I think gamers are going to love, but also cinephiles will love. It kind of exists in both worlds. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. That sounds great. Jocelyn, thank you again so much for doing this. You're the best. Thank you. You guys are the best. Thank Thank you you so much. It's like a a warm blanket hanging out with you guys. Thank you. We feel the same way. (laughs) 
That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 305. Special thanks to our guest, Jocelyn Donahue. At time of release, see her new film, Off Season. It's in theaters, VOD, and digital March 11th. Follow her at Jocelyn Donahue on Instagram and Twitter, and go to primopetso.com. That's P-R-I-M-O-P-E-Z-Z-O.com to get inspired by her amazing dishes as an incredible chef and baker. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boo Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.